Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Kodo Cinema. I'm your host, Mark Kodo. With me today will be on-air personality of HitMix 88.9 FM WEIU, Randall Becker. Randall, welcome back. Well, thank you. I'm always, it's always a pleasure to be back. Third time's the charm, huh? Absolutely. Three times in a row. Yep. So, anyway, Randall, what are we going to talk about today for Kodo Cinema? Well, I, I actually wrote a little intro, something special. I say to you now, people, listeners of Kodo Cinema, you come to this podcast only days after its recording to listen to a story of a man, or maybe a legend, a prodigal son who stretched so far in his talents and influence over Hollywood, who would eventually retire into himself, a cell of a man, scorned not by the system, but forever attempting to be a part of it. I'm Randall Becker. Joining me is Kodo. That is right. Joining... Joining me, or should I say, me, me, by the other hand, is Mark Cotto of Cotto Cinema. So, anyway, today we are going to talk about one of the greatest, le one of the greatest actors of all time, including the legend himself, Marlon Brando. Absolutely. Other than having just an extremely aesthetic name, this man right here is a Hollywood superstar in a way. He's been in so many films. He's extremely recognizable, and he's. Absolutely, just eye candy. I agree. I agree. He is. A, he is definitely an eye candy. Yes, uh, Marlon Brando. If you don't know, he's been in films like The Godfather, Apocalypse Now. He's even been in Superman, a couple of seasons of things. He he grew up young in Omaha, Nebraska. He was born on April third, nineteen twenty-four, to Marlon Brando Sr., a factory worker and a chemical manufacturer and to Dorothy Julia, a theater administrator and actor. That's probably one of the reasons why Marlon Brando became an actor. Absolutely. Now, both of his parents were alcoholics. Uh, I guess that rings true for a lot of artists. They come from bad backgrounds, and that's what makes them so potent in the messaging that they try to bring out in their performances. And, you know, that is basically a true fact. I mean, we do have a lot of artists with different pasts, whether it's a good past or a bad past. And they often use that past to like bring in the artistic style of acting. Absolutely. They grow up in these horrible situations, but they find a way to take it and rise to be cream of the crop often. Because his parents would tell him, like literally all the time, you'll never amount to anything, Marlon. Uh, you'll be terrible your entire life. You have such a horrible attitude. And he even got kicked out of high school because of it. He rode his motorcycle through its, uh, the main hall. Ooh, that was a basically a risky move for high school. I hope that wasn't uh, a senior prank. Um, he didn't make it to senior year. He got kicked out. Oh, never mind then. But eventually, he was also kicked out of the military school for his odd behaviors senior year. But he would never finish high school and was rejected from the Army doing yeah. to his trick knee after he applied. Yeah. After Marlon Brando was kicked out of high school, his uh, father put him right in the military academy, thinking that would shape him up. Didn't really happen too well. He continued to do pranks the entire time. Uh, he would be an active member on all of the committees at the school, but in passing, he would often be extremely cynical. He'd sit around, uh, he'd commit pranks and then organize search committees for the prankster, but he was the one that committed it. And oftentimes he'd get away with it, and it wasn't until his senior year that he finally just said, this isn't for me. And <laughs> then the school agreed and kicked him out. 
he would never get his uh, high school diploma or anything like that, sadly. You know, sometimes it, it can be a sad life for, for some people to not get, like, diplomas or from for high school. Sometimes, like, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a sad life for some people. And right. let's just be honest, school is not always for everybody. And, like, everybody has different facts and opinions. And that is, that is definitely fine. I mean, like, true. Yeah. We all have different ways. But... We we just got we just had to push for we just had to push for su success. And that's kind of what Marlon did. Uh, he didn't uh, fall into acting immediately after he was all on his lonesome. He he dug ditches. He worked at a local movie theater. He did a lot of hard labor, construction work mostly, and picked up the nickname Bud around town. And a lot of people knew Marlon, and Marlon was definitely a character there. Uh, his early inklings of a performer. Uh, came out in his youth when he would mimic others and do mannerisms and do performances for the other kids on the street. Uh, this has been said many times in multiple documentaries about Marlon as a character, is that when he was a kid, he was very joyful, but he was always trying to do something to get the attention of his parents or the people around him. So that's why he always uh, stayed in character, right? Well, absolutely. He'd always try and play a character that he didn't care. It was that calm aloofness that you see in him that... Uh, honestly, shatters through his performance, and uh, he, it starts to build into this ego. Well, maybe sometimes there's there's always something in life that can bring you on the path to success, mm -hmm. like like uh, like acting, since he put on performances for young people and would mimic other actions and mannerisms. Oh yeah, just like you mentioned. And and he became aggressively opinionated at this point in his life because uh, he was in a, a poor situation. It, now, his parents still, in a way, would support Marlon through this situation, but, of course, they would scold him constantly. His parents had broken up, gotten back together multiple times. Uh, divorce was still very taboo at this point when Marlon was around 18 or 19. And it was actually a push by his sisters that lived in New York and were actors at the time right. on Broadway performances. Same with, same with their mother. Yes, to become an actor. Uh, when he was in school, theater was one of his biggest pastimes. So it's no shock that he actually ended up becoming a movie star because not only did he have stellar looks, but he had a natural knack for ta for acting and picked it up well. And oftentimes, he'd even write about this in his autobiography, acting was a second nature to him. And towards the end of his life, it was like he was playing the character of Marlon Brando and not actually Marlon Brando. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had some personality issues, but again, that goes back to the whole artist situation. Right, right, and uh, and uh, I know you. I know you mentioned that he was he he did theater before he was thrown out of high before he was thrown out of high school, and after one such performance, he did the year he dropped out of school, drew him to New York, yes. and people. Uh, but then people accepted him and his dramatics. Oh yeah, uh, he was performing a stage show not far out of uh, Omaha where he was performing in a local theater. And he was asking for his own room. He was making extreme demands for someone that essentially is not even a, a main or titular character. And it got him kicked off the performance, which after he had gotten back into acting, he just went to New York to go live with his sisters. Ah. Which basically kick-started his career. But, he, but right, that's right, because like, because he was discovered by Broadway, by Broadway rocket, rocketing his success. He started in 1944 with I rem Remember Mama. Yes, he played the son of the main character in that show. 
Oh, it, it eludes me as to what it's about, but I believe it's extremely depressing to <laughs> reflect that time period. Right, and with with that with that success in Broadway, I remember Mama. This actually led him led him to his first screen role, w- which was a paraple- paraplegic paraplegic veteran. Is that how I'm saying that? A paraplegic veteran in The Men that dropped in 1950, and uh, this is part of like his ego and how he liked to mimic people. Most of Marlon Brando's acting style came back off of what he could perform raw, and he liked mimicking things that he could see visibly. So to prepare for this role, he was a method actor and he spent literally a month in a military hospital, just lying there in the bed, feeling, or at least pretending, so that he could uh, try and understand and have a little bit more empathy for the character he was playing. Right, and with, and, uh, with, the, funds, with the funds for the film, he had surgery on his knee and was no longer disqualified from active service. Yes, and, and to quote on this movie, uh, it was his Broadway performances that got him picked out of the crowd. Not only did he get star, but talented. Uh, what was it? He was picked out for his talent to be on Broadway, but his shows on Broadway picked out him to be in a movie. So at this point, Marlon had was starting to build up this ego of what is modern Marlon Brando with that slow speaking draw, that iconic character and caricature of who mm-hmm. he is, and you can summarize with most of his roles, starts to really formulate here. Now, to go back to that service thing, he fixed his bum knee so he could do more and have more, uh, what do you call it, physically demanding roles because he couldn't perform some areas because his knee would just give out. Right, and that is a true fact. And, and to, qu- and to like not, al- not also to reference service, he was also called, in, called into to serve in 1955 where he was denied again filling out the draft questionnaire accordingly. Yes, he called his race human, his skin color as seasonal oyster white to beige, also claiming he was psychoneurotic, and they referred him to a, uh, a psychiatrist at the time, and it actually the military doctor happened to be a fan and a friend of Marlon Brando, so he ended up getting off scot-free. Well, this man is too crazy to possibly serve an active service while he's also appearing in... Um, movies and other types of things and he completely avoided the korean war because of it right and and with movies he worked with cue cards almost exclusively starting in the 1940s to add spontaneity 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 all right thanks to the roles he performed so he would have a choice in his performance if he wanted to use the lines or not yes and this is a strictly marlon brando thing he it perfect storm surrounded his career where he could tell the director what was up and the director would have to bend a knee because Marlon Brando was a trickster and not a huckster because he had all of the qualifications you could possibly have as an actor. He came from a nice background. He had a lot of skill and talent and he had a resume that he was building up that had a hit after hit after hit. Mm -hmm. So he had this style to him that was cue card acting. So he could read the cue card, have an idea of what the, sa- like the scene is supposed to sound like, and then he would just improvise or sometimes use their lines, but he wouldn't read directly off the cue cards. He would memorize what was on the cue card, and then he would bring out the performance however he saw fit. Right, and uh, right, so that is basically very true. I mean, this is basically like cue card, ad- cue card uh, acting. And I'm going to be totally honest, this is like something you don't really hear or do 
anymore in, like, no. in terms of acting. I, if you tried to do this as an actor, there's so many people out there that are starving artists that they will swoop in and take everything that you want and need. You can't pull a Marlon Brando anymore. It's not a small clique of people. Right. And, uh, no, no, and uh, on the acting side, uh, his rise and fall, Streetcar Named Desire in 1951 is often cited as one of Marlon Brando's uh, most famous roles. He blew up in popularity after this role. Now, this was like one of the second films he was actually involved in, and it absolutely astronomically raised his popularity with female audience, becoming a male sex symbol overnight. If you look up Marlon Brando, his profile picture on every single IMDb page is him 1950, nice, sleek, slim, massive cheekbones, the most beautiful man you could possibly imagine, okay? He, he's prominence and grace. And his performance also nominated him for an Academy Award for Best Actor. That and was basically his first ever nomination. And that was his second performance as, like, a Hollywood actor. So, and now he ends up winning two Oscars by the end of his life. I, I'm sorry to spoil that. But th he got nominated on his second ever performance, and this... Hollywood stardom, we really don't see very much anymore. And with Brando, it's just so prominent in terms of, like, uh, people will complain. I believe it's Aerosmith. One time, like, e each place that they perform in the green room, they request specifically green M&Ms in the bowl <laughs> in, like, their requests and shit. And people will always will joke about it and say, well, that's horrible. Well, that's stupid. Why on earth would you propagate that? Why on earth would you request that? It's this prima donna idea that I bring so much to this performance that you can't do it without me, that Marlon Brando exemplifies, because he gets away with so much. I mean, you can tell, you can tell, even in films that you've seen, like Godfather, Apocalypse Now, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, or On the Waterfront? I think that's one of his films, On the yes, Waterfront. Oh, that was one of them. That was one of the, I think On the Waterfront was his first ever Oscar win. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And going back to his films, Marlon Brando at that point continued to do pretty well critically and would even take up directing One-Eyed Jacks, which was released in 1961, which was his directorial debut. And ultimately, ultimately, we see that as one of his first few failures. Yes, in um, autobiographical moments and periods of reflection for Marlon Brando, he harkens back to this as one of the few moments in his life where he thinks his ego really got the most of him. Because this movie made money, but it didn't make a lot of money back. And after this, he starts to involve himself in the filmmaking process far more extensively than just his acting. Mm -hmm. He oftentimes would step on the director's toes. Right. And uh, speaking of director's toes, uh, his second film that he directed, Mutiny on the Bounty, which was released in 1962, was Brando's biggest critical failure. And... Started his decline. Did he actually direct that one? No, but you honestly could say that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that was just a guess. I mean, that no, was just a guess. Mutiny on the Bound dropped in 1962 and was the most expensive film ever made at that time. That cost that cost 162 million dollars. You're spoiling it. It cost 19 million dollars for the time, and it only made 13.6 million. The thing is, is that it cost that cost 162 million dollars by today's standards if you use a calculator. Oh. I wonder what the 13.6 million would look like in today's standard. Mm, I wish I had calculated that, but um <laughs> Brando would drag his feet during the making of the movie Mutiny on the Bound. Now, uh Mutiny on the Bounty. Now, he played a 
infamous pirate captain. He was mean and aggressive, but and he honestly was not supposed to be there for a lot of the shooting. But, but he was there for about nearly six months. And he lived in Tahiti. He had a private villa. He would explore the island regularly and disappear for long periods. Pl- and he would make ridiculous requests. Plus 24-hour catering. 24-hour catering being such one. And he had complete control over his lines. And he would honestly rewrite people's characters. And he got away with it. He ended up costing the budget somewhere around $6 million. Really? Yes. Now, if you take that $6 million figure and plug that into a calculator, with inflation, th- he cost that movie $51 million. That is a lot of money. That, that is more expensive than any actor working in Hollywood now. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, uh, this may seem significant, but what you mentioned, this may seem significant, significant compared to modern films' budgets like Marvel, but Marlon made up $6 million of that budget, or just... Or just fifty over fifty one million dollars in today's uh, if you ca- today's economy, yeah. That's more expensive than expensive than any other actor. The film was nominated for eight Oscars, but was attacked by critics. I wonder what those eight Oscars for, were for. A lot of them technical, because the movie was extremely expensive. It had a lot of connections in the industry. And this was when Hollywood could get away with being real clicky, because it wasn't as much of a public display. It was just an award show for technicality. And since it was such an expensive film, they had a lot of really good special effects for the time. Right. Performances. They sunk real ships in the movie. Those were real ships. Those were real ships that were actually, like, what do you call it, sailing around the coast of Tahiti, which is why it probably was so gosh darn expensive at the time. Because back then, back then, there was no CGI back then, which Mm -hmm. definitely makes sense. You had to make it up. You had to do it all by hand. And, uh... Speaking of, wi- speaking of which, uh, that was we're still on the film Beauty on the Bounty, right? Uh, if you'd like to, you have anything else you'd like to comment on that? Didn't because because uh, that film didn't make its money back. It did not make its money back. It lost six million dollars plus all the advertising and other things that were never really calculated or brought to a head. But this movie lost six million dollars, and it honestly started one of Marlon Brando's worst habits, which was his right. eating habit. Right, and that is, that is definitely true. And and uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this will probably lead up into his uh, next film with uh, Apocalypse Now, which we'll get into eventually. eventually. But anyway, uh, after the failure of Mutee on the Bounty, he started to perform just to pay the bills. Hey, sometimes you got to pay bills to perform. Yeah, he'd still put a lot of effort into the performances, but he didn't care what offers he got. He just took them. Kind of like a Nicolas Cage. That is definitely true. Except way more expensive because he was still making big dollars. It's just he would take performances, uh, what do you call it, um, un- without bias. He'd just take whatever was offered to him, basically. Right. Hey, sometimes you, you sometimes uh, that, that could be good spending money, too. Mm-hmm. And he started to coast by on his name. And Marlon started to become slightly more obscure. And right. I believe he did win his first Oscar at some point. Right. Fix this period where he was just kind of not really feeling it right but he was still happy that he could keep working putting in as much effort as it as he fell into the movies he did just coast by on his name between 1963 to between 1963 and 1971 yes now there were good movies he was in again but this was his depressive period he started losing his hair 
started putting on a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are a lot of fun stories surrounding Marlon Brando and bribing mm-hmm. people from around the town to throw hamburgers over his fence because his <laughs> wife was trying to put him on a diet. Oh, man. And he was basically just building up the Marlon Brando estate because he was <laughs> making investments for retirement. And it already it's already worth, I would say, close to a billion dollars by modern standards. But he put all of his money in investments and did whatever he could to make sure that he would not be Oh, what do you call it? Fiscally poor again. Right. And, but but that all changed in, ni- in 1972 when The Godfather came out, which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The Godfather is the most recognizable films entirely with cue cards. Plus, he used to play pranks on set. Yeah. Um, this was probably the main reason why he wasn't invited on, uh, to The Godfather 2. I don't know. Do you remember the scene... Where he's eating cheesecake. I know. I don't okay. remember that scene. Then we'll we'll move on to that. But, but we'll anyway, ta- I do. We'll re- talk about what? like wasn't didn't didn't his character got uh, killed off or something in that film? In yes, the first his film? character in the first film did die. Uh, he ended up collapsing in a vineyard while playing with his granddaughter. So he died or grand- peacefully. Was it a granddaughter or I believe grandson. it was a granddaughter. Well, I mean, well either well, either it was way, it was off to the side, but. We just spoiled Godfather 2. I apologize. It's three hours. You probably weren't going to make it to the end anyway. Plus, anyway, Godfather, uh, Marlon Brando won his second Oscar for uh, for the first Godfather movie since he played Vito Corleone. And speaking of Vito, Vito Cor- Corleone, Corleone uh, uh, Robert De Niro stepped in to play Vito Corleone in Godfather Part 2, to which he won that Oscar for Best yes. Supporting Actor. Yes. So I guess... Vito Corleone, Vito Corleone, no matter what actor plays him, won, won that Oscar. Absolutely. It's an iconic character. Uh, such pranks he would play is um, he would moon people on set constantly. Mm-hmm. Whenever they weren't filming, he'd just pull his pants down and just, <laughs> uh, just to moon people. It was very uh, casual and weird, and it's hard to imagine that The Godfather, such an iconic uh, character as the one that he did play, yeah. would just pull his pants down whenever he got <laughs> pants. Uh, in addition to that, you know the cat that he's stroking and like would have throughout the entire movie. Yeah, I heard that cat was uh, was just walking around on set because yeah. uh, it was I a thi- dumpster cat. It was a dumpster cat, and I think Marlon Brando actually likes cats. He, of course, he likes cats. He picked it up and said, "You know, it'd be really cool. You know, it'd be really cool if this character had a kitty cat. It could stroke, very maniacal, but shows the softness of my character." I'm making an o- <laughs> I'm making I'm making an offer you can't refuse, something like that. And speaking an op- and uh, speaking an offer you can't refuse. Uh, Apocalypse Now in 1979, the unintentional saving graces, the fear and hatred on set. Loved the movie, but this was when he started to throw whatever he could at the wall, making now, it his second collaboration with Francis Ford Coppola. This, uh, Apocalypse Now, this was a rare case. Now. He was only supposed to be on set for about five days when they were filming Apocalypse Now. He ended up staying there for many, many, many months. This is one of those movies where they almost went completely over budget because of Marlon Brando, but they probably saved the movie with him. Right. He he aided in directing, feeding lines. He provided the monologue that his character does in the movie that's now so iconic. Now, he started putting on weight, and he definitely looks a lot older at this point. And... That this is again later on in his career. I would call it the silver age of Marlon Brando. Right. 
And you've seen Apocalypse Now. Like you can describe his performance, right? I, I actually saw Apocalypse Now in one of my film in one of my film classes, and I'm gonna be totally honest. It it's a great movie. It's a great movie, despite the production I- issues it has, including the controversy. But mm-hmm. I I also watched a documentary called Hearts of Darkness: A Filmmaker's Apocalypse, which was basically a documentary about about the, the troubled production of Apocalypse Now. Yes. Which definitely explains uh, of what happened with Marlon Brando's Brando's character. Many sc- th- they had to rewrite the script. Many sets were destroyed by uh, by a typhoon. Plus, mm-hmm. uh, plus, uh, Martin Sheen also suffered a heart attack on uh, on set as well. Oh Reg- yeah, Reg- was that on? And I think it was on set during course, during the production. During the production, end of the seventies, and they're in a foreign country, so everyone was drugged up as well. So the movie should not have turned out the way it did <laughs> at all. I mean, well, to be fair though, at least at least the film went on to become to become successful. Oh, it's I a even hyper today, cult classic. Even into the and especially today, the film is considered to be one of the greatest uh, Vietnam war war films of all time. Oh yeah. In one interview, uh, what was it? Marlon Brando described it as this is Vietnam. <laughs> he actually really said that? Yeah. Now, he might have just been doing that for eccentri- eccentricity, but he absolutely enjoyed being on this movie. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola would actually run out of reels of film filming him for this movie because he would just have him say whatever he could in the character. And eventually it would go to the point where he was just babbling, and even Marlon was at a loss for words, which is rare for him. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, actually, uh, long, long before Apocalypse Now, uh, Marlon Brando played... Uh, Played Superman's father Jor-el, in the in the 1978 film Superman. Yes. Th- this was the single of his retirement. He took the role on the condition of the story. And to be fair, the story wasn't stupid. It was not stupid. Yes. Originally, he wanted to appear as a disembodied suitcase, then as a green bagel. How how do you know what the people of Krypton looked like? There isn't a kid in the world. That doesn't know what Joel looks like, and he looks like Marlon Brando. He took the job immediately. To to explain some of what was just said, uh, Superman in 1978, Marlon did not have a high opinion of comic book movies, and he showed up in Superman as Superman's father, of course, Jor-El. Originally, he didn't want to appear. He just wanted to be a voice role. And he wanted to play a disembodied green suitcase, which was like a pregenitor to a laptop. And then a green bagel. And then as a green bagel. Now, this was because he had already signed the contract. Or correction, he was in the process of signing the contract. They really wanted Marlon Brando to do it. But he thought that doing a super bo- like a superhero movie mm-hmm. would be stupid and it would hurt his career. After he read the script, made a couple of minor revisions to his character, he absolutely loved it. And, of course, that iconic scene that's recounted by one of the directors and casting people for um, uh, the movie Superman that came mm-hmm. out in 1978. Which the first one was directed by uh, Richard Donner. Yes, but Richard Donner. It, it, all it took was a little bit <laughs> a little bit of push playing into Marlon Brando's ego, and he just took it straight up. He wants to be on roll. He wants to all be there every day. All it takes is a little push. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well... Well, to quote on Heath Ledger's Joker on that, 
which was another DC, which was another DC film, another DC film, completely different universe, but still in the same right, exactly. not in the same continuity, but in I the know. same company. I know, I know. That yeah. was I don't, I don't, now some I know, notable films. I just want to comment on these are in his later years. Uh, the uh, Freshman, which was a 1990 film, par- which was a parody of himself. One of the uh, in his famous character Vito Corleone from The Godfather, he basically plays him because mm-hmm. it's the same makeup, but now he's what do you call it? Fifteen years older at this point, or a little bit older than that, so there's no old person makeup. He just looks like Vito. He just <laughs> pulled it off, and he plays a mob boss that, uh, what is it, there's some guy that's, <laughs> what is it, he offers him a job to work in the mob. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's completely ridiculous, but he starts calling back to his other characters. Then there's the island of Dr. Moreau. Have you seen this movie before? I have not seen this movie, but I do know for a fact that movie was also in production, a troubled production as well. Yes. Because I heard that film, I heard I heard there were multiple problems with that film, particularly particularly with uh, with the direct with the director switch from uh, I forgot that who was the original director, but I know the director who did the Island of Doctor Moreau was John Frankenheimer. Yes, they ended up swapping over. Uh, Marlon Brando was absolutely a ma- major prima donna on this film. He completely rewrote Doctor Moreau's character. He ended up giving him that bleached white skin that you see when he walks outside and where he, he wears also the massive sun hat. And he also had an earpiece. Yeah, and he wore an earpiece the entire movie. People were just reading lines off to him, and he was just having fun. And he brought a, a little person actor <laughs> that he just, he just liked him, and he just hired him. He didn't tell anybody. It's just, this guy's going to be my many-me before many-me. He's mine. <laughs> uh, this movie oh established goodness. so many weird tropes I and was mean, just it the eccentricity of the film. man. I heard it was a bad film, but like, didn't uh, Austin Powers reference that mini-me from The Island of Dr. Moreau? Is that where Austin Powers that got is, the idea? That is literally one of the original like reasons for that, and it, it's so funny. I just the movie itself. The only parts that are interesting are with Dr. Moreau because he's far scarier than any monster that's in that movie. I mean, exactly. Heck, even the even the production itself may seem scary too. Y- I mean, yeah. could you just imagine watching a documentary of of the island of Doctor Moreau, just like how Apocalypse Now had that similar trope? Well, I believe there might be some fan made stuff. I don't think there's an official making of documentary, unless we get some super rare, uh, what do you call it, special edition? It's probably a special edition, or maybe some audio but leaks. But we're going into the late 90s here now. Right. That's basically the late 90s. And uh, one of his last films that Marlon Brando did was... The very the last s- film. The very last film was s- The Score, which was uh, directed by Frank Oz, who you will recognize Frank Oz as as Yoda from Star Wars. And, yes. of, course, the and Mupp- of course, the Muppet himself of... Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. Actually, uh, Jim Henson did uh, Kermit the Frog, but... Well, he does Kermit the Frog after Jim Henson died. Really? He did? He did that? He does Kermit the Frog now, yeah. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and... Oh, Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster. Frank Oz oh, did yeah. Cookie Monster, too. And, yeah. speaking of which, uh, Marlon hated Frank Oz and would often mock him by calling him Miss Piggy whenever he tried to direct him. Yeah, they couldn't even get him to do basic things in the film. A lot of it had to be filmed from a bed or in a chair. Marlon didn't want to get up and act for him. And they were both under contract, so they had to suffer. Uh, oftentimes, Marlon wouldn't be invited to the <laughs> set 
to do things, but he'd just show up anyway. Just to get uh, Frank Oz mad. Yeah, he'd show up in scenes he wasn't supposed to be and stuff <laughs> like that. And at the very end, uh, the last scene they ever filmed was, and this is the last time he's ever appeared on like an official Hollywood film, was him, just, all he had to do was sit there in a bed and smile. And they could not get him to smile. They literally had him there lying sternly for hours, just staring off at nothing because oh, he man. refused to let the movie end. And they ended up CGIing a smile on his face. Did oh, you know that? Oh, I have not. I've I've not seen that. Here's the thing. I've not seen the score, but like that, they used a CGI smile. Yes, this was before Henry Cavill's mustache. And th- what happened was is that he he they would filmed him for literally I think eight to twelve hours, right? And he just sat there and he just lied there in a bed doing nothing. He would take breaks to eat, and he all he had to do and all they told him to do was smile. And that eventually. Frank Oz just said, screw it. We're going to CGI paint a smile on your face. You know, and it is the know, most terrifying like, thing. You know, maybe it would. Maybe that smile alone was probably better than the CGI mustache from Justice League. Mm-hmm. Well, and by I think the w- that CGI smile alone has more artistic integrity than Justice League. That is true. And by the way, by the by way, uh, this, was, this was probably the only film where Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro actually did the score. Because mm-hmm. both of them played Vito Corleone. Absolutely. Well, and by the by the way, speaking of CGI, 2006's Superman Return, Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando's character of Jor-El was actually recreated with visual effects in Superman Returns. Mm-hmm. To which I think that film was to which the film was released in 2006 and was dedicated in Marlon Brando's memory. I think he died in 2004, and I would assume that's probably what they wanted to do with him. Because he actually he liked the character. I think he played Jarl in a couple of um, uh, cameos and Superman-related properties as well. Right. And he, he's he's such an interesting guy, and he has a really wonderful life. But as with most people, um, they die. Actually, I think that's all people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marlon Brando did die three years after the filming of the score. Uh, in Ronald Reagan USLA Medical Center in Los Angeles, California, of congestive heart failure. He spent years um, struggling, having issues, but he ended up crawling up on his own. Uh, He did what he had to do and ascended as an actor. Uh, He ended up dying at the age of 80, which is pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. That is very impressive, yes. I'm... And people are just appreciative of him. He's an icon and absolutely respected in Hollywood. And to this day, he is considered to be the greatest actor, one of the greatest actors of all time. Absolutely. And, uh, well, folks, there you have it. Here is our take on Marlon Brando. What do you guys think? Brando, what did you think? I think we we covered everything. Usually you do end these types of stories when... The Hero Dies. There are a lot of documentaries you can check out online involving uh, Marlon Brando post-mortem. He did a lot of interviews and stuff. People have compiled compilations. I suggest you look into his story. Uh, He would play pranks all the time. He was a very lively character. Hated Burt Reynolds, but that's his personal preference. (laughs) And... Anyway, if you also want to check out his films, feel free to check out his his Oscar-winning films, including... including 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 the 1968 Superman movie, Godfather, The Godfather, uh, Apocalypse Now, Streetcar Named Desire, or On the Waterfront, 
those you can also you can check out those films too. Mm-hmm. So so anyway so anyway that is that that is it for to, that is basically it for today. Thank you all for tuning in tuning in to uh, thank you all for, for tuning in to Kodo's cin- cinema today as we talked as uh, Rando and I talked about Marlon Brando. But but any, but anyway thank you all for tuning in. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Kodo's cinema. I'm your host Mark Kodo. I've been Randall Becker. And I'll and, and I'll I'll and you got and tune in next week for another exciting episode, folks. Have a good day. Have a good day. Uh, we're starting to get some pretty good weather out out there today, even though it's a windy day. But anyway, have a good weekend. Have a good day. And uh, I'll bye see bye. you later. Yeah. <laughs> bye. <laughs>